Just three verses from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5. This is the good news for those who mourn. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Everything Jesus says drips with history and prophecy. Everything Jesus says is filled with remembrance and forecast. Everything he says is full of what's past and what's happening right now and what is yet to come. And he is the only one who can speak like this, of course. Everything Jesus says is full of the immediacy of the moment he speaks into. And at the same time, everything Jesus says is full of the reach of eternity. So when Jesus is on the hillside with a crowd of people, a crowd of his followers, and he has them sit down and he gives to them the Sermon on the Mount, and when he says to the crowd and to us all these years after that, blessed are those who mourn. Those aren't just words for Jesus. They're painful words for Jesus. Maybe his voice caught in his throat when he said those words. Maybe his eyes welled up. But when Jesus said those words, he said them as a mourner. Maybe when Jesus said those words, he remembered his mourning for Adam who in a split second distrusted and turned his back on the love of God in the garden. And maybe when Jesus said those words all at once, he remembered every idol Israel had fashioned for herself and built and bowed down to and loved more than they loved him. Maybe when he said those words, he remembered not long before this occasion, being in the desert and being tempted by Satan, and he mourned the strength of the temptations that we buckle under. And in that same moment, as he said these words, maybe he saw ahead to standing outside of Lazarus's tomb before he even raised Lazarus, hating the death that took his friend, weeping for the way death interrupts love. And further ahead still, maybe Jesus thought of the night He would weep for us all in the Garden of Gethsemane with the dread of a cross and a long-standing curse closing in on us and Him fast. With Jesus, there are no empty words. Thank God He does not use words like we do. He doesn't just say things because he should or he's expected to. He doesn't say things because these words sound good or they make him look good. He does not say spiritual sounding things, unsure of what they mean. The words that come from Jesus are sodden and loaded and overflowing with meaning. And when Jesus says, blessed are the mourners, he's saying He knows mourning too. He's well acquainted with sorrow. And I find that comforting. 
Because the cartoon Jesus that I sometimes imagine and wrongly believe in, a blissfully unbothered Jesus who floats above the clouds, unmoved by the things that move us so deeply, it's comforting for me to know that cartoon Jesus is a malicious fiction. And at the same time, we shouldn't just run away from and flit away too soon from these words that Jesus speaks to us. Because when he says, blessed are those who mourn, he isn't just saying that he has cried like us. He's actually saying he has cried with us. And even more than that, he's saying he has cried for us. When we couldn't cry for ourselves, when we didn't have the tears for it, when we didn't even know what there was to cry over. And if we were to jump ahead a handful of chapters to Matthew 10, where Jesus says, not even a sparrow falls to the ground without your heavenly Father's permission. And all those hairs on your heads, He has them numbered. This God who loves you so particularly, He counts your tears. And He knows what fills each stinging drop to fall from your eyes. And somehow, a Jesus who mourns with us and then leaves it there doesn't feel much like a blessing. He doesn't feel like one who could make us blessed. And thankfully, He doesn't leave it there He promises that you will be comforted. And that's significant. This is not a generic comfort Jesus is speaking of. Floating around out there for you to stumble into or to trip over by some blind, dumb luck. This comfort is specific. And because Jesus has gathered these crowds and seated them with Him, and because He's teaching them on this occasion, He's actually saying, This comfort you are after only comes from me. It's mine. I have it. And I'll give it to you. I alone. This comfort comes looking for you, hunting you, as an answer to your tears. What is it that makes Jesus so good as our comforter? Is He really just that understanding, that tender, that gentle, a good Listener, all of that's true, but it's not the truth of this verse. Jesus can comfort you in your mourning because He comforted His own mourning. Jesus healed His own broken, anguished heart for Adam's rejection by living the worshipful life that Adam skipped out on. He took Adam's flesh, and then lived the life that Adam missed. And no one was happier about it than Adam himself. The coming of Jesus was the turnaround Adam always hoped for. And the cross, which looms so big with Adam's failure handed down to us, the cross heaped high with all of our sin and our wrong, that cross was Jesus' answer to Gethsemane's long night of grief. It was the joyful dawn that Jesus Himself brought about 
to break a never-ending night of sorrows. And when Jesus walked out of his own tomb, he wiped away his own tears for Lazarus. And everyone like Lazarus, everyone Jesus loves and has loved, everyone snatched away by the cruelty of death. And Jesus in all of it was saying, our tears are not lasting things. If Jesus is the answer to his own mourning, then he is the answer to our mourning as well. Which doesn't make the bad dream of the last week go away. But it does mean death and sorrow and the shock of bereavement don't get the last words. And they're not even the strongest words. Jesus can bless us because he has comforted his own mourning. And it means he has soul deep comfort to give us as well. And here's the good news for us in all of this. Ben mourned. Ben had sadness and sorrow. In recent years, Ben had a hard time. He struggled because he could never figure out how to enjoy his sin and how to enjoy the peace of the gospel he believed at the same time. And that was grace from Jesus. It was a strange grace, but Jesus does not shy away from strange graces. In all my conversations with Ben, I never once heard him say, I don't believe, I don't want this. I only heard him ask me, why can't I have my sin and enjoy it? And I could only ever say to him, because Jesus loves you far too much. Ben was a struggling saint. But he was a saint. And struggling is a form of worship. I don't worry for the strugglers. I worry for those who don't struggle. And struggling may not be the fullest or the best form of worship. It may not be the form of worship we wanted for Ben. But he was never able to get himself free and clear of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was in Ben's mourning. He mourned with and over our Ben. And we mourned with Ben. We were saddened by his sin and his unrest. We struggled in his struggle. We cried over him, even if he didn't always let us cry with him. And we cried out for him, how long, O oh Lord, does he have to go through this? And we didn't get the answer we wanted. But we did. We did get a taste of the heart of Jesus for Ben. With all of our pain and anguish over a covenant son, we got to feel just a piece of the heart of Jesus refusing to let go of one of His own. And Jesus was in our mourning. And then there's the other piece of what Jesus says. Ben is now comforted. I know that you've been talking through 
this little piece all week, and I'm going to do my best to repeat it to you because I know it's meant so much to you, and I'm not going to get it right. It'll only be a tremor of what you've been discussing with each other all week. It'll be a weak echo in my mouth, but I'll give it a shot. We know what's in our hearts. We know what lurks in their depths, in the blackness of the silty bottoms of our hearts. And when we forget what lives down there, there's something to stir it up. And it surfaces and shocks us again. And we know all the reasons we shouldn't be loved by Jesus. And we know the secreted things that should keep us out of Jesus' presence. All the reasons why when we stand before Him, we should stand there with embarrassment and regret and failure and shame. And this immense fear wondering, I didn't confess enough, did I? I didn't love Him and worship Him enough. I'm not fruitful enough to be here. But that won't be our shock. Our shock will be to find that Jesus knows all the reasons from His own heart that He is determined to love us by His grace. And when we see Jesus, the sensation of it will be tears and laughter and stammering. I can't believe I'm here. I mean, I can't believe I've made it. I mean, I can't believe you have brought me all this way. And with a smile that makes the sun look like a pale moon, Jesus will say something like, I've always been bringing you all this way. When Ben stood before Jesus suddenly on Sunday morning, he didn't have to stretch to believe Jesus loved him. He could see love standing before him in a crucified, risen, glorified body. Sunday was the day of opposite worlds. At five in the morning on Sunday, you were awakened out of your peace by state troopers knocking on your door, and you were shocked with the worst news of your lives. And about that time, maybe at that same instant, Ben was awakened out of the mourning and sorrow of this life. And he was shocked by the best news eternity has to offer. Sunday morning, you couldn't catch your breath. And Sunday morning, neither could Ben. Because he sang like he had never sung on earth. Sunday, you couldn't stop your tears. And neither could Ben stop his. You cried from horror. And he cried with the hilarity of grace filled with joy. Sunday morning, your world was turned upside down. And Sunday morning, Ben's was put right side up. One minute, you're driving down the highway. And the next minute, you're surprised, not by an accident, but by falling into the arms of Jesus, who has been reaching for you and holding you all along. Ben was a prodigal, not unlike many of us here. And happily, joyfully, Ben was making his way home. 
He just didn't stop along the way. Sunday morning, he made his way all the way home. And in the instant where Ben realized what was happening, in the worst moment of it all, when he realized, I'm not going to walk away, in that worst moment, what he believed, he believed more than he ever had. And in that worst moment, in that worst instant, Jesus was running out to meet him while Ben was still a long way off. We were surprised by grief. And Ben was surprised by grace. On Sunday, there was a sickness that settled in the pits of our stomachs. And we couldn't eat. On Sunday, the feast began for Ben. It's not the way we would have chosen for it to happen. But we can't say Jesus was not and is not Ben's comfort. And there's comfort for us too. We're allowed to cry. But there are two kinds of tears. Tears of loss and tears of hopelessness. And I hope you hear the difference. There are tears for what was once had and tears for what was never had. And Jesus is giving to you the first kind of tears and he is withholding from you the second. Which means we cry for ourselves. We only cry for ourselves but not for Ben. He doesn't need our tears. They don't do him any good. And then there's this. Sunday morning at our church, after the the announcement was made, and worship was over, and people were trying to make sense of it and comforting each other out in the foyer. John Shanks said, I want the walkers to know they still have a son. I want them to know they still have a grandson and a brother and an uncle. He's still theirs. He's just not here for them to love. But they should still love him. And you should. And you can. Just as much as you always have. More even. And even though it was unexpected. And even though this isn't the way we would have wanted it, I want you to know you still have a Savior. And Jesus never stopped loving Ben. And to love Ben, sometimes he used us. And then sometimes he didn't use us. Sometimes he used his cross and his resurrection and his covenant of grace to reach into Ben's heart in ways we will never fully know. And even in Ben's worst moments... Jesus did not withdraw his promises from Ben, and he did not turn off his grace to Ben. And even in this event that we will forever hate, even in the horrible accident, Jesus was loving Ben. And because he never stopped loving Ben, you can love and trust and enjoy Jesus more and more and more. Jesus who comforted himself is more than enough comfort for us. The passage 
does tell us that we will have to mourn. And we will have more tears and more sadness to share. And some of it will be kept to ourselves. But remember, that's because what happens in the world of light is often cast as shadow here. And shadows don't last. And when we are allowed to see the light of Jesus in its full blaze, this shadow and all the other shadows will collect, will burn away. And so Jesus has gathered us here and seated us around him. And he says to us, Blessed are you who mourn in me. I am your comfort. I am your comfort. And then, in the host of heaven, and all of us left here on earth, can only say together, Amen. Amen. Oh Lord Jesus, You who have mourned and cried for us and with us and over us. And you who have comforted your own griefs. Now be Prince of Peace to us. Your grace has not failed Ben. It has not failed us. And when you are ready in your own good time, Place our tears with the shouts of joy. And in the meantime, through the tears, give us choked shouts of joy nonetheless. For Jesus is faithful and Jesus is true. And he is the rest of our band, just as he is our rest and peace and hope. Comfort our hearts, O King of Comforts. We will give you thanks.